Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! Today's a special day. He is risen, right? Right? That's why we come. That's why we celebrate. It's why I've got my fancy blazer on today. Don't like to brag, but I do own one. Um, You know? However, so here's the thing. The dangerous part of Easter is it's such a cool celebration. It's a worldwide, global phenomenon where lots and lots of people, literally millions of people are going to celebrate today. Already have, right? In other parts of the world. But the danger is that it just becomes a special day. You know what I'm saying? Like, it becomes a day that is it's just tradition. It just becomes a day where we just do something. We go out. Maybe we get dressed up. Maybe we finally, like, get our butts back in church. Whatever the thing is. But it's just a day. You know? It's not like a celebration of something that really actually happened. That means something really actually happens in your life on a regular basis. As in, hey, if Jesus did come back from the dead, that's kind of a unique thing. That must mean he's like God or something. And that must mean he's got a claim on my life. If I say I'm a follower of his, that means that's my life we're talking about here. And so we celebrate a reality that's supposed to sink deep down inside of us because Easter or Resurrection Sunday is the foundation on which Christianity is built. Right? I mean, that's why it's such a special day is because this is what it's all about. And the New Testament's pretty honest about the reality of that. Because resurrection is not just something that you talk about regularly and normally. Right? It's not like, oh yeah, I remember that guy, he was resurrected. That was crazy. Right? Like, we don't ever have that conversation unless it's about Jesus. Right? And so, saying that means that today is foundational. Saying that means that today means something for your life, for your eternity, And so we gather here today to celebrate this, not just crucifixion, as Tim said earlier, it's not just a crucifixion, it's the fact that there was something after, something miraculous that happened after. And I know whenever we have, we're we're live today for our first service, so I know whenever we have people gathered, we have people watching, there's always a spectrum, and I'm always mindful of when I'm asking God and, you know, what I should say and how I should say it, all that I try to be mindful of the spectrum of people, that there's some here and some are watching that are like all in on the resurrection. They're like, yes, absolutely. He has risen indeed. And then there's people that are like, I don't know, resurrection. And then there's going to be people that are like, nah, that, there's no way that that's real. That's, I don't buy it at all. Like Christianity and the morals, those are cool and everything. But the fact that he came back from the dead, I'm not buying that part. And so I realize that there's this wide spectrum. But what I love, though, is that the, the gospel is for everybody. You know what I'm saying? His own disciples, because this is where I want to go with you this morning, is the journey that his disciples took. His own disciples did not believe in him after the resurrection. Have you ever noticed that in Scripture? There were some disciples who worshipped, it said, after the resurrection. They're like, man, I'm all in. Some of these guys that have been hearing his teaching, watching his miracles, living life for three years, and it says, and some still doubted. They're seeing Jesus like they watched him die on the cross and now he's back and they're like, oh, that's a cool trick, whoever that might be. And they didn't believe. And so there's a real struggle with this because the right a resurrection is insane. That's craziness. But it's what the whole entire faith system of Christianity is built on. And I get what I love is I get in the New Testament that they understand that they get that this is a difficult truth to digest. 
even for people that are his followers. But at Quaybog, we talk about it all the time. At Quaybog, we want to make sure that we are absolutely a place where the gospel is heard. Right? We want to be a place that models what happened, as you're going to see this morning. You're going to see the, the growth of the New Testament church. And we want to model that. And what do you see there? Why do we, our vision statement for the future, why did we craft that particular statement? That Quaybog Church wants to be an authentic home for the hope of Jesus Christ through exceptional, spirit-led worship, connection, and service to our surrounding community. That's our better tomorrow. That's where we're headed together. That's what everything we do is going to be driven toward. Why? Well, because, again, that's what you see happening in the New Testament. It galvanized the early Christians around Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And all of a sudden, worship was happening in their lives. Connection was happening in their lives. Service was happening in their lives. And it changed everything. Because there was a reality of a resurrection. It wasn't just a good idea. It wasn't just a hoped for eternity. It wasn't just good morals, good teachings, and Jesus being a real swell guy. It was the craziness of the resurrection. The insanity of the resurrection actually happened. And they galvanized um, literally immediately after Peter began to preach. And then the New Testament, Holy Spirit, all that good stuff. And our mission here at Quaybog Church, again, our day-to-day, how do we drive toward that vision? Is we want to love God, we want to love people, and we want to help them start and grow a relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, why? Because of the resurrection. Like, we believe in it. We believe that that crazy thing actually happened. And again, I love that the New Testament is so honest about this. And even awkwardly honest about this. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul right? Like the dude who wrote most of the New Testament and would ultimately give his life for this stuff. He understands the insanity. And in verse 17 through 20, verses 17 through 20, he says this, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is what? Worthless. Like he's not pulling any punches. He gets it without the resurrection. This is all dumb, right? We're all wasting our time. He says, you're still in your sins. Nothing's been forgiven. Verse 18, those then who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have also perished. They're just dead. There's no hope for them. It's like, well, that's kind of a bleak look. And if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. So some people will say, you know, Pascal's wager. Well, you know, if we're wrong, at least we've lived a good life. Scripture is like, no, you've wasted your life. If the resurrection is not real, you've devoted your whole life to something that's a fairy tale. There's a reality there. Paul understands the weight of the truth of the resurrection. He understands the, that tension that just is, it can build in our lives because it's like, man, am I going to give my life to this thing? Really? Because, man, if it's not real, I'm in trouble. But here's what I love. Here's the reality. Verse 20 that he says. Read this with me. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. This is what they were willing to bet their lives on. This is what they were willing to give their lives to, bet their eternity on. This, this is what they were all in on. And they knew it. This is a, a, a certainty for them. And it's why everything was able to be changed the way that it was. Because of what they had seen. Because what I love this is that, like, this is a very human struggle. This is a very human struggle to say, can I trust this? In a world that has been turned upside down by COVID and everything has been shaken and rattled and turned inside out on itself, there's so many people that feel like they can't trust anything anymore. They can't trust the news. They can't trust social media. You shouldn't trust social media. 
right? YouTube, the news, like people screaming the news at you is probably an indication that they've got some kind of viewpoint that maybe they just only want you to hear, right? And so it's like, we don't know who or what to trust any longer. We're watching business leaders and religious leaders go down in flames, right? Because of moral decisions that they're making. Who can we trust, right? This is a reality that the, the New Testament writers understood as well. Can I really give myself to this? Can I really give myself to this? And it's a question we need to ask ourselves today. Can we really give ourselves to this, to the fact that, as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead? Because everything was upended. And there's so many people I talk to, whether it's here at church, or whether it's out in town, like coaching, being a part of boards in town, like whatever the thing is I'm, I'm a part of, I hear people saying the same thing. Like, what can we trust? Who can we trust? And in the resurrection, what I see is God specifically, intentionally, on purpose saying, you can trust me. Like, this is the proof. I've been talking about this for thousands of years, and now here is the proof. And they all got it. And that changed literally everything for them. But I do also understand that the resurrection today, as it was then, is a difficult one to wrap our minds around. I mean, come on. Somebody came back from the dead. Yeah, right? And often we're just like, yeah, of course, he's risen. He's risen indeed. But a guy came back from the dead, right? That is difficult to understand. That is difficult to wrap our lives around. But there's some things I want us to consider this morning. So for the skeptic that's here or for the skeptic inside you, even if you're 100% all in, uh, I personally am a skeptical guy. Um, I am very curious. I always ask questions. Simple answers rarely are good enough for me. That's frustrating to read the Bible like that. Right. But it causes me to really go much deeper than just to be like, oh, OK, yeah. And it really pushes me in my faith a lot. Right. But it can cause this tension in me. Right. And not that I doubt the resurrection, but there's always this mindset, like when I'm getting ready to preach a sermon or teach something, that there's that little inner skeptic that's saying, well, prove it. Where does it actually say that? Or why would they do that? I'm always asking those questions when I'm reading or preparing and stuff like that. And so I want to kind of take you down that little journey in the rabbit hole in my own mind and help you see what these early disciples were walking through. Like, what did they actually experience? What did they actually feel when they were walking through those early moments right after the crucifixion of Jesus? Because here's, here's my contention this morning. In order for those guys and those women to go from cowards to courageous, something must have happened. Something must have happened. For them to go, to, you know, I'm going to totally bail on Jesus to I'm going to be all in and I'm going to die for this thing. Like something must have happened. Something must have happened. And so my question is, what happened that would transform them from running from their lives because of Jesus to all of them giving up their lives because of Jesus? Like, this is one of those things for me that's always been really fascinating. Like, what happened? These guys all ran for their lives because of Jesus. And then seven weeks later, they're all willing to give up their lives for Jesus. And ultimately, all of them would, except for John. And it seems historically he was just boiled in oil, so they didn't kill him. But they maimed him and ruined him for life, right? And then exiled him to Patmos. Why would you do that? Again, something must have happened to do this in these people. 
And that's what I want to talk about today. So let's look at John chapter 20. And I'm going to read two different scenes for you this morning. And I really want you to try to picture them in your mind. I really want you to try to think through what this would have been like for them. This scene right here, just to give you an overview, is the moments, the early, early, early moments uh, after the resurrection. There's the empty tomb. And I want you to try to put yourself, particularly in Peter and John's shoes. Because they're, they're kind of the focus of this chapter right here. And imagine what it would have been like to roll up and experience what they experienced. So, verse 1, chapter 20. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So, she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Right, so this is like catastrophic for them. Here's their their you know their Messiah, their supposed Messiah. One, he's dead. So I mean, it's I guess this has all been a lie. And then now they've taken him. He's gone. So at that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. They take off, literally, verse four, they're running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. So John gets there just a little bit ahead. And stooping down. John saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Because imagine that. Your Savior, your Messiah, the guy that was in your mind was going to wipe out Rome, has been murdered, and now he's gone, but the linen cloths are still sitting there. So he gets to the entrance, and he's just like, his mind probably freezes. Like, what am I seeing right now? Like, what exactly is going on? Why are the linens laying there? Right? Like, I don't understand what I'm seeing. And so he pauses, and then following him, Simon Peter comes, and he enters the tomb. So he rushes in, and he sees the linen cloths lying there. Now, the interesting thing about this setup is verse 7. The detail that John records is very, very helpful. He says, The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. That's a curious little detail because it reveals what John is seeing. Because remember, John is writing this. And so it reveals to John that somebody didn't just come and snatch his body. Because grave robbers, those were a thing back then. Especially some as notorious as Jesus to be able to steal that body. But the fact that not only are they still there, the linen cloths, but it's neatly folded up. The one that was around his head, and it's just placed there. And so, again, his mind is like, I don't, I don't understand what's happening here. Why are these cloths lying in here, and why are they all neat like this? But one thing is that we know it's not grave robbers, which again, well, what the heck is going on? Now, the other disciple, Peter, who had reached the tomb, or John, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, then also goes in and what? And believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. So these are literally history-altering moments here. These are his disciples for the very first moments having to grapple with the reality that Jesus actually came back. And it doesn't make sense to them. They didn't, as it says in verse 9, because up to this point, they didn't understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So again, the honesty, they totally missed what Jesus was here for. They wanted Daniel 7, right? They wanted this like conquering king of the Old Testament. And they got Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Total confusion, walking in, seeing the linen claws, not getting it, not putting the pieces together. And again, what took them from cowardly to courageous? Something must have happened. Something real 
must have happened for these guys. And they're, and they're walking us through these moments of not understanding. And this is important, not believing, not believing. And then we're going to now we okay so we saw just those early moments in the resurrection morning but now let's skip past everything like Jesus and his interaction with his guys and we're going to jump to the book of acts. And the book of acts is written by a guy named Luke who was a doctor and a historian and he's writing a chronicle particularly in the book of acts but it, especially in the uh, the gospel of Luke he even says that look I'm writing an orderly account here of this life of Jesus so that you would know Theophilus you would know what this is all about. And then in the book of Acts then, so that's not, the book of Acts is not about the life of Jesus like the Gospel of Luke. Now it's like, okay, so Jesus is gone. His time on earth is gone. Now what? That's why the Gospel, uh, or the uh, book of Acts is so cool because it's like, now what? And if you say you're a Christian today, this is what you need to do with the Gospel message. This is what you need to do with the resurrection. Well, now what? If it's true, what does it mean for my life? And that's what you see in the book of Acts is people saying, this is a real thing. And they changed History, I, like I can't overstate that, uh, uh, because they literally changed the way people thought in the Roman Empire. They thought differently after Christians about human life. They thought differently about basic needs and what was important and what should be guaranteed to people. I mean, there was so much women and the way they looked at women was completely changed because of Jesus in the early church. Like literally on a global scale, things began to change about how people looked at the world around them because something happened. Something happened and it changed everything. And again, that's, what does that mean for us today? So I want you, before we look <clears throat> at this verse, I just want you to keep in mind where the disciples were, where they were and what, as they ran from Jesus, as Peter denied Jesus, right? When the servant girl was like, Hey, aren't you a disciple? And he's like, mm, Jesus never heard of him, right? A servant girl, which was nobody back then. And yet, and that Peter was just terrified. And so here we are in the shadow, from cowardly to courageous. Acts 1-3. This is how, what Luke says about these early days after the resurrection. So after Jesus had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So he's going to prep his disciples. He's going to walk with his disciples and show them What's going on? Because they still, some of them are very confused. But here he is for 40 days. That's forever. That is absolutely forever that Jesus comes back and he's revealing himself to these disciples. And the reason he's doing it with just them is because they're going to be the ones that go out and change the world. Like they need to know that this is real because Jesus knows what it's going to cost them. He absolutely has no like illusions about what this is going to cost these men and women. Again, something must have happened. So Acts chapter 2. So here's Peter, right? The one that like basically abandoned Jesus, gave up the coward. So Peter, verse 14, Peter stood up with the 11. So basically all the other cowards from seven weeks ago. He's going to stand up with these men and women, but the men particularly. He's going to stand up and he raises his voice and he proclaims to them, all these people listening, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let it be known to you. And pay attention to my words. So he's saying, I've got a message for you, and I want you to listen up. So again, picture this scene. So here's Peter standing before thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are there to celebrate the third major pilgrimage feast. They were all just in town for Passover about seven weeks earlier. Thousands and thousands of people are screaming for the death of Jesus Christ. 
And now Peter, with this same crowd in the same city, is going to stand up bravely and say, I need you to shut your mouths and listen to this really important message that I'm about to give you. Yes, all of you people that just murdered my Savior seven weeks earlier, I need you to listen to me because I'm going to tell you something really important. How does Peter go from, I, I'm hiding in the dark in the wilderness, and then I don't even have enough courage to admit in front of a slave girl that I'm a disciple of Jesus, to seven weeks later, now I'm going to stand up, that same guy's going to stand up in front of the thousands and thousands of people that just murdered Jesus and proclaim this message right here in Acts chapter 2. How's that happen? Well, again, something must have happened, right? Something must have happened. So he continues, if you jump down to verse 23. So Jesus, even though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, right? This was no accident. You use lawless people, the Romans, to nail him to a cross and kill him. So not only is he going to get up and proclaim the gospel, he's going to make sure they don't forget. Hey, all of you, by the way, you murdered Jesus. This is on all of you, right? This is pretty gutsy of Peter to do. And we have to ask that question. Where did the courage come from? Right? Something must have happened. Something must have actually happened to change these people in the way that it did. So God raised him up. Verse 24. God raised him up. Ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Because Jesus, the author of life, had a plan all along. And then a little bit later in that same speech, just in case anybody missed it, what was it that happened? What was this something that they were willing to give their lives to, that they could trust the way that they're trusting? And what exactly happened? Well, Peter is going to repeat himself just for clarity. Verse 32. God has raised this Jesus, and we are all witnesses of this. Plain and simple. What happened that took them from cowardly to courageous? The resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened. This is what Peter is arguing for. This is what we're contending for this morning here at Quaybog Church. And the response is interesting. Verse 37. When they, the crowd that had, you know, he had just blamed for the death of Jesus, when they, that same crowd, heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Even the crowd that was just scream, screaming weeks earlier for the death of Jesus, even they were stopped in their tracks, just as John was when he walked into the tomb, because he was faced with the reality of something that was going to alter human history. And these people in the audience were listening, and they realized that they had experienced, that they were witness to, they were a part of, even, in a very painful way, something that was going to alter human history. And these people have a response I think is pretty appropriate for us. Because that's my question for you today, is what are you going to do with this, right? Look at the honesty. What should we do with what you just said? Right? That's all the question we need to ask this morning. What are you going to do? Is your life going to look any different, any different than it does today? Like, are you going to make any changes? Are you going to continue to live and suffer in your own sin if you say you're a follower of Jesus? Are you going to continue to be like people in the world? Or are you going to act like you serve and belong to a risen Savior? You know what I'm saying? Like, this made a difference in these men and women's lives. And then he's going to explain, well, here's what you should do. Verse 38. Peter replied, 
Repent, turn from your sin, and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why would they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Because when you accept Christ as your Savior, your relationship with God changes. You're a new person, the Apostle Paul would say. You now are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a representative, like we talked about a few weeks ago. You are a representative of Christ. And there's too many people walking around in the world today that don't think Christians are anybody at all to look to for hope. They don't think Christians are a source of life and hope. They just don't. They think a lot of Christians are a source of hypocrisy. Some of that is unfair. Some of it is unfair because they, they just are looking for things to find wrong, right, with a Christian. But a lot of the times, I know, right? I know people that just, I cannot believe they would say and do the things that they do. And they see no problem with it. And then the world looks at that and they're like, well, I guess maybe it's not real. They say they believe in a resurrection, but I don't know. It doesn't seem to be doing anything for them. And that's on us. That's on the individual. That's individual responsibility. And these people understood it. And he said, look, when you receive this gift of the Holy Spirit, it's going to change everything. And he goes on. He says, verse 39, for the promise is for you, fellow Jews, and your children. Like, this is what Jesus came for. The Jew first, then the Gentile. And for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. And this is like the, the unbelievable thing. This is when Christianity just like crashes into the world. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Easter is a life-changing, life-altering, eternity-changing, eternity-altering event. And you see that in these early disciples. And he says, look, this is going to be a game changer, everybody. I know what you did was wrong, but there's still hope. And 3,000 people accept Christ that day. Like, the world's most successful sermon just drops, right? And all of a sudden, everything changes, and Christianity literally just crashes into the world in spectacular fashion. And it was all because the power of the resurrection that they had witnessed, as Peter said, and the power of the Spirit of God, because it's a reality, the Spirit of God is, moving in and through these people, and all of a sudden something spectacular happens. All of a sudden something spectacular happens. This group of cowards now goes to the point where they are courageously willing to give their lives and put it all on the line for a message about somebody that came back from the dead. Like, how does that happen? Again, something must have happened. Something real must have happened. And I wonder if you're here today and you're listening to this, like, do you live that way? You know, I don't know where you are with Jesus. I don't ever want to assume everybody knows Christ just because they're here on Easter. But it's like, where are you with that? This reality change, actually changing your life. If, in fact, it is a reality as Peter and the apostles attested to. Because when this comes on, this last verse, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. How did Christianity spread? It wasn't through force. It wasn't through influence. It wasn't through legislation. It wasn't through any kind of power whatsoever. It was through generosity. It was through radical acts of love and kindness. People were literally selling their property. Because remember, thousands of people are in town for Pentecost. And they, they want to stay around. They want to be a part of what, what is happening. Right? And they don't want to leave. So the Christians that are there are like, hey, 
I got some property I'll sell. I got some stuff I'll sell so that we can provide for you and you can stay around a little bit longer and we can do this church thing just a little bit longer. Like, people hungered for that. Like, about, like, what about us? Like, do we hunger for this? Like, do we, like, desire community so much that we're willing to do the worship, connect, serve? That's what the early church was doing. That's why we made our vision statement a part of that. They were worshiping, they were connecting with one another, and then because of that, man, they were just radically serving one another. And Christianity just, like, lit on fire because of just regular, uneducated people that were witness to something incredible. That's all it was. Spirit of God was just using these people that knew they had found that thing they could finally trust in, that thing that they could finally put their hope in. Because they wanted to hear the apostles' teaching. They wanted to experience community. And they wanted to break bread and pray together. Authentic Christianity. So again, my question, what took them from cowards to courageous? What was it that they had witnessed with their eyes that changed everything? It was not only something real, but it was something amazing. It was something miraculous. It was something history-altering that they had witnessed with their very own eyes. And they said, I have got to tell people about this. And that was the resurrection, the real resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here we are 2,000 years later. We literally reckon our year off the life of Jesus Christ. That's what kind of figure we're talking about here. Right? I mean, we say it's the year 2023 because about 2,023 years ago, Jesus lived a life that changed everything. Right? One solitary life changed everything and the reality of what he did. So I want to close with a question that's very similar to what those people asked Peter that day. Brothers, what shall we do? Sisters, what shall we do with this? Because there's two things. The gospel of Jesus Christ fits into the story of God. The whole story. The bigger story. God created us for relationship. Right? Genesis 1. The Genesis 3 isn't short behind because all of a sudden our sin separates us from God. We all make a decision to reject God in some form or fashion. And that's called sin. We all have sins in our life. It could be being judgmental. It could be being a hateful person. It could be lustful. It could be some kind of addiction. It could be that you're an unforgiving person. That's a pretty big one in the Bible. Right? There's, it's on and on and on and on. You can see that sin is something that is just corrosive in our souls. And God says, look, you can either keep going back to that and giving yourself excuses. Because I have my personal sins. Even your pastor, I have my own little personal sins that I give myself permission for. Because they're not that bad. Right? Because what do we do? I'll go and find, like, the worst person I know and be like, well, gosh, look at that guy. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing what she's doing. Right? Like, God, God you get me. You understand me, Lord. And it's like... And we do all that stupidity rather than saying, no, I serve a resurrected real Savior. And he says, stop living like that. Through the power of the Spirit, you don't need to do that anymore. You don't need to be that way anymore. And it's like, why is my life so difficult? Well, because the life of your Savior was difficult. Don't miss that. His whole life was difficult. And he's like, yeah, and I get it. I understand the struggle. I understand when you want the cup to pass from you and it doesn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, these are all very real things about a real Savior that really did the unthinkable and came back from the dead. And it was really difficult for the early disciples to understand that. And it was really difficult for the early church to swallow that one. Because it's a hard truth. He actually came back from the dead. Yeah. And it's worth giving your life to. 
it's worth changing your life to. You know, like orienting my life to this truth. It's worth it. Because again, we live in a world where everything has been turned upside down and inside out. And a lot of us have been left feeling like there's nothing real out there. AI has made us like, they can create fake pictures, right? That look so real, right? Like you've seen pictures of President Trump being like beat by like, you know, the Capitol Police. And it's like, wow, that's really real looking, you know, or a million other things. All these selfies they're doing of historical figures and like the artwork, you know, it's like, it's crazy what AI can do. And now everybody's like, well, are we going to know anything that's real anymore? You know, pray for our teachers that have to grade papers. They don't know if they've been written by AI bots or not, you know? And we live in a world where it's like, is anything real? Is anything trustworthy? And I want to say definitively today that, yes, yes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God saying, you can trust me. You can trust this. Because, again, I've made you for relationship. Sin has broken that relationship. You can't do anything to fix that because you're imperfect. And you can't stack up imperfection to make perfect. And there's a debt to be paid. When you break the law, you got to pay for it, Right? And Jesus says, I'm going to do that. That's what Easter is about. My death, burial, and resurrection. I'm going to pay that for you. And anyone who believes in that says, Lord, I am a sinner. I do need a Savior. That's you. And I give my life to you. I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection as payment for me. But here's the tricky part. And here's where a lot of Christians get off track. Is that also means I'm giving you my life. It also means my life is now oriented toward you, Jesus. Because now you're my Savior But more importantly, maybe, you're also my Lord. And that's where a lot of us, we don't want to get to that. That's the difficult part. That's called discipleship. And that's what changes the world, is taking that last step. Because the world needs something real, everybody. The world needs something real. There's so much fake out there. Can we as Christians, if you are a Christian, can you be real enough to point people to this kind of hope here? Because again, something must have happened that changed everything. And something did happen. Something real happened. And it was amazing and miraculous and eternity-altering. And I want to close with this thought right here. And that's why Jesus is a truth that endures in a time when nothing seems to be real. It's life-altering. And my question I'll leave you with is the same again we heard in Acts 2. What will you do with that reality? That's on you. That's a personal thing. That's on me. It's a personal thing. we got to decide what we're going to do with this. So let me pray. Jesus, this is, a, this is a time, Lord, where you did the unthinkable. You did the amazing, the miraculous. Something did happen. And I thank you so much for that, Jesus Christ, because it changes everything. And as Brittany prayed at the beginning, Lord, if there's anybody still here that does not know you as Savior, Lord, will, they, will you help them make that decision today to put their faith in what you did on the cross for them, Jesus Christ. Would you just move, as Peter said, Lord, as many as God will call, Lord, we're praying for as many as you would call, even this morning, Jesus. And help us to live free lives. Help us to re- live redeemed lives, Lord, if we do know you as our Savior. Help us, Lord, to say no to the old sins, the old addictions, the old wounds, Lord, the old ways of thinking, God. Would you give us the strength by the power of your Spirit that literally changed everything, that raised you from the dead, and then launched this thing called Christianity, Lord. We want you to do that, Lord. Would you continue to do that kind of work, that resurrection work in us, Jesus Christ. I'm praying your blessing on everybody here in the room, everybody watching Jesus Christ. I'm just asking, Lord, for, yes, a resurrection blessing, Lord. Help us to feel alive in the Spirit that you offer us. 
And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you all. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday, everyone. Go have a great day. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.